Thank you, and uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us here today and for being so welcoming to us. We really do feel very welcomed here today. Uh, it's great to be able to come and share with you about compassion and, uh, and share with you out of God's Word as well. It's fantastic to be here with you. And uh, yeah, here with my beautiful wife, Amanda, a little bit about us. Uh, we got married in 2020 and came together as a, a blended family with six children. Um, so life in our house is a little bit crazy, and then, uh, but very good. Uh, and then we added Zoe. Uh, Zoe was born in January this year, and she's eight months old and has, has already has me wrapped around her little finger well and truly. And we are having one more. And so, yeah, Amanda is due in March next year, so we're having one more to our tribe. If anyone's selling a minibus, let us know. Um, and we're so excited about that. We're maybe a little crazy, but we're, it's fantastic. Um, so I've been working for, for Compassion for eight years, and it's a real honour to be here with you this morning and to, uh, to share with you. And I just want to start by saying thank you to you as a church for your partnership uh, with Compassion, sponsoring children, um, I know you've had a focus, uh, have a focus particularly in Thailand, and, and many of you might sponsor, I'll turn this on, uh, might sponsor in other parts of the world as well. Compassion works in 25 countries around the world. And the past, I think, eight to 10 years, you've had a focus in Thailand, sponsoring children there. And uh, it's been fantastic to see so many children uh, sponsored by people from this church. This, uh, before today, there was 179 children sponsored uh, by families from your church. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's so generous. And, and the support that you've given those kids and their families means that those children are, are, are fed, uh, they have access to medical care, they get support with their education, and they're loved by a local church that shares the gospel with them and that walks alongside them and their families, making sure that they are being released from poverty in Jesus' name. Zoe must have run out of snacks. She's... <laughs> She enjoys her eating. <clears throat> so thank you for your sponsorship and your support. Uh, a lot has changed over the last few years in the world with the pandemic happening, and we've been affected in different ways here in Australia. Um, for those living in poverty, for those living in the developing world, the impact has been huge. When you live in a, a situation where you're relying on day-to-day -day income, maybe as a, a, as a day labourer or maybe having a market stall or or different things like that, and then all of a sudden your community or your city goes into lockdown and you can't get that daily income that was very small in the first place and you have no backup, no reserves, no support, no work from home option, nothing like that at all. Um, it's been devastating for a lot of families and communities and it's meant for the first time since 1990, the number of people in extreme poverty has gone back up again. Uh, it's been falling for decades, but for the first time, it has gone back up again. And for us at Compassion, the churches have responded amazingly um, in meeting the needs of their communities and, and the children. Um, but it has meant that for a period of time in 2020 and into 2021 in different parts of Australia and in different parts of the world, we weren't able to do what we're doing today um, in, in sharing about the work of Compassion in a church and have people um, sponsor children. And so it's meant for Compassion we've had... Um, over 200,000 children who aren't sponsored, who we're looking for sponsors for. We have over we have 2.2 million children in the program worldwide, um, but many of them are currently unsponsored. And some of them have been waiting a long, a long time. I have twins here uh, today that someone pointed out on the stand to me early. Uh, Ferdinand and Fernand, they're uh, three years old and they've been waiting over 200 days uh, for a sponsor. 
and that's very common, unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, your focus in Thailand has made an incredible difference to the kids there. Uh, Compassion's been working in Thailand for over 50 years, so multiple generations of children that have gone through the program. And <clears throat> the good news for Thailand is that um, the, the number of people in extreme poverty has been declining uh, and is declining rapidly, which is fantastic. Uh, out of all the 25 countries Compassion works in, um, Thailand has the second um, lowest extreme poverty rate and the lowest in all the countries that we work in in Asia. And that's been a combination of, of many things, but one of them has been the impact of sponsors like you and churches like you all around Australia and all around the world supporting kids there. And it's also been the local church in Thailand getting stronger, getting healthier, um, and also having more access to more resources as well. And so what that's meant is uh, many of the churches have gotten into a position where um, they've had less and less children around them in extreme poverty that they need to help. Um, and that, but then they'll also got in a strong position where they can actually run the same program that they're running in partnership with Compassion, um, but without extra financial, without financial support of child sponsorship. That's a good news story. That's amazing because we, as Compassion, don't want to um, be perpetually needing to be in, in countries and in regions forever. Our hope is that they will get out of extreme poverty. If we are uh, having a situation where someone says, well, my parents and my grandparents, they were sponsored children as well, we haven't really done our job. The idea is to see them released from poverty in Jesus' name, and that is happening in Thailand. And so thank you for your support in that. What does that mean practically? It means over the coming years, over the next five plus years, um, there are no more new children coming into the program in Thailand. Um, the, the, the children that are in there will remain in the program. Um, however, churches will start to get to the point where they transition to running it themselves without outside financial support. Um, that will happen over a period of time, five plus years. It's not going to happen tomorrow. I'm not telling you to stop. Please don't stop your sponsorship. It's really important and vital. Um, but it also uh, means that at some point in the future, that will start to take place. And so there are very few unsponsored children in Thailand and Compassionate Program at the moment. Um, I have, well, we did have 10 of them here today. A few of them got sponsored in the first service from Thailand. Um, and so there's, there's not going to be many new children coming into the program for sponsorship. All the ones that we have here today have been previously sponsored and need a new sponsor because their sponsor has been unable to continue. But in talking with um, Adam, and uh, he talked with the leadership team here at the church, um, it was agreed upon, well, as, as you continue to sponsor and support those children in Thailand, let's look to the future and add another region as a focus for you as Oasis Church. And so uh, we, we talked about that and looking at the country of Indonesia and a, a, a city or a region called Semarang, which is on central, in central Java. Um, so if you know where Jakarta is, it's east of Jakarta. If you know where Bali is, it's west of Bali. Um, and so <clears throat> there's a whole community there, a whole city, a whole region with many, many children who uh, currently need sponsorship. And so the idea is that for those of you who are new, who may want to start sponsoring a child, you're able to do that in Indonesia as well. And for those of you who maybe want to take on another child, you're able to do that there as well. Indonesia is actually Compassion's biggest country in terms of the number of children that are supported there. There's over 166,000 children who are uh, supported through Compassion's program in Indonesia and over 700 churches. And they are doing an amazing job there. <coughs> the need there is huge. Um, there's, there's a massive need, there's, there's so much poverty and so much oppression that, that is happening there, 
And so sponsorship there makes, like it has in Thailand, makes a huge difference in the lives of these children. Uh, having visited Indonesia once with the work of Compassion, uh, got to visit some of the local churches where they ran the projects and it really is, and, and I've said these words before, so I'm not just saying it because you're called Oasis Church, it really is like a little oasis in the middle of everything that's going on around them. They're doing an amazing job seeing that these kids are fed and supported and, and have their a- access to education and medical care and, and I hear the gospel. The difference is huge. In and around Semarang, um, most of the people that have work earn up to $100 a month, which is not much, and many, many don't have any work at all. Um, these boys that I talked about, these twin boys, um, so their average income in their area is $34 a month to try and live off that. This is, uh, this is Marcus. Marcus is from uh, the region of Samarang, from one of the projects where we have children for sponsorship for your church, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about that, despite being a, um, a really mountainous region, water's pretty scarce for them. They have a wet season and they collect water um, in, in their rain tank, but then the water that comes off the mountains, um, because of the lack of um, sewage and waste treatment, all of that is, is very, gets very contaminated from all the household and farming waste. And so for about six to nine months of the year, depending on, on that season, their family has to try and buy clean water. And so for their family, it costs them at least a third of their monthly income just to get some clean water. And the local church realised the impact on that community and, and in partnership with Compassion, arranged for a bore well and reservoir which um, to be dug and, and, and reservoir to, um, to make clean water available. And over 200 of the homes in there now have year-round water. They have water all the time, um, clean water to them. The difference that makes, I mean, sometimes we take that for granted we just go to the tap and we get clean water and that's it or we have long showers or the difference it's made for them and their health is huge. Uh, Marcus has just started high school and he plans to go to university and through the support and sponsorship of Compassion he's going to be able to do that one day. So thank you as a church for being a part of the huge win that's happening in Thailand and please continue with your support there and we do have children from Indonesia that we'd love to see sponsored today. I don't want to assume that everyone here today um, is familiar with Compassion, so just briefly, Compassion is Christ-centred, child-focused and church-based. So in Christ-centred, we are unashamedly about Jesus. The Gospel and Jesus is at the centre of our program. Every child in the program will hear about Jesus and be taught, and every child in the program will receive a Bible in their own language, and we, we don't shy away from that. Um, when we say we're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, it's just not a nice line on the end. It's, it's core and central to who Compassion is as a ministry. We're child-focused, which means we want to start with kids from the youngest age. Poverty takes a hold of a child's physical health. It takes a child hold of their mental health. It robs them of hope. Um, it, it, it impacts their education. They're behind. Like the, the impacts are so multifaceted for kids. And so if we can start with them from a young age, before um, poverty has got a hold of them and before poverty has adversely impacted them in a big way, um, seeing that, that's the best case scenario for us, to be able to see them not have to um, be stuck in poverty and to see that cycle of poverty broken with their family. And so we, we sponsor and support children and then we have extended support that goes to their families as well. And we are church-based. 
So we partner with local churches. For those of you um, who may have been on a trip with your church or perhaps you've been on a trip yourself, when you go and see the Compassion Projects, you don't see a big Compassion sign anywhere. What you see is a local church who are embedded in their community, being the hands and feet of Jesus in that community. And we love our partnership with local churches, over 8,000 churches right around the world um, that Compassion partners with, and they're doing amazing work in their community. So today, thank you again for your sponsorship. I want to encourage you in that, that it's making a real difference in their lives. And I want to encourage you in um, potentially sponsoring more children today. There might be some of you who are yet to sponsor a child. Um, Can I encourage you? The impact on the child is amazing. The need is great for more sponsors. And so um, I'd really encourage you to come to us outside at the stand and do that today. And for those of you who are already sponsors, thank you again. And I just simply ask you to ask yourself the question, do we have room for one more in our family? Sponsorship is $48 a month, which is less than $1.60 a day. I I did some research on what we spend as Aussies um, recently. We spend on average $20 a week on bakery goods. I'm part of that. Uh, We spend $44 a week on restaurants, $77 a week on holidays, $35 a week on alcohol and $263 a week combined on other recreation. Everything from your Netflix subscription to going to the movies to, uh, you know, getting a coffee to whatever fits in that for you. I'm not saying that's what you spend. I don't know what your spending is like. But what it does tell me is that for the vast majority of Australians, sponsoring a child is something that is quite affordable to do quite an easy thing to do actually. For, for a few, and that might be you sitting here this morning, it, it may be a stretch and I, I get that and I acknowledge that. But for the child living in poverty, it's absolutely life-changing. As we get to visit churches around Brisbane, um, we love meeting people who sponsor children and we consider it such an honour. Uh, a few months ago, we met a, a teenage boy, 15 years old, who with the blessing of his parents, said, I want to use my part-time job at McDonald's. I want to use my income from that to sponsor a child. And he, he was the first one to the table. He was so excited to come up and do it. We meet families who even met families this morning who come up with their kids to the table and pick out uh, a child or children sometimes um, to sponsor as a family and get their kids involved in that. We meet um, retirees and pensioners who are like, you know what, we've, we're going to make room for a child in our family. And every time we meet people like that, Every time it's an honour that you would choose to trust compassion and partner together with compassion. We consider that a real honour. And so we thank you for doing that as a church. And for those of you who are going to come to do it today, ahead of time, thank you. It really is an honour that you would do that. Uh, I'm going to, before we open the Word of God, just play a short video for you of um, a family in Indonesia connecting through sponsorship with a family in Australia. And you can just see the, the impact that that has. thank God for you. In quiet moments and when life gets loud, I feel connected to you. I see your smiles in my son's face as he reads your letters. I 
pray for you, dear mother of a different dear son. Sometimes I imagine what life is like for you. I try to see myself in your situation. Life is so busy, every day is full, but I look forward to meeting you. I want to see our boys play together. This life is so fragile and precious. I work and work, but can't give everything my family needs. But I know the one who can. I pray you will live in him and that he will fill your heart with courage and grace. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you. Your family, your life is blessing to mine. I want to thank you for thinking and praying for my family from across oceans. I pray the same prayer for your son and mine. May their hearts love God and always give their best. Kemitipan mungkin yang saya berpikir, walaupun dia orang asing tapi mungkin katong sama, dia dua mata baju dua mata, satu hidung baju satu hidung. It's actually funny. I think me and Nova actually look quite similar. It's like she's my Indonesian twin. We're both young mums, and it's quite uncanny the similarities. We both have a a young boy and we both have a baby girl and I think that just must be such a God thing. I'm glad that Micah got to see how we can love people outside of our bubble in Australia. It started off with sponsoring a child. It started off with sponsoring Gavin, and it's turned into so much more. You know, sponsoring a family, loving a family, having a family abroad. You know, taking another family into our family and just making it bigger. You know, sponsoring a child is one way that we can show that we, you know, want to reach out and love these people. It's probably the most incredible thing you could ever do with your life, really. The way it impacts not just the child, but the family is just so incredible. You're inputting some love into that child. And so, and I think that's how Nova felt, you know, when she saw me, that she was just really appreciative of the love that um, we were giving Gavin. Love to talk to you today at the stand. We, we brought about 40 children needing sponsorship with us today. A number of them were sponsored in the first service, which was fantastic. And so if you can, we would love to, uh, to talk to you today. That would be great. I want to share a message out of the book of Luke this morning. We're, we're going to read a few passages, but do a bit of a, a fly through the book of Luke. <coughs> uh, about uh, Well, the message title is called The Upside Down Kingdom. But before we read out of Luke, I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever 
had a preconceived idea of what something is going to be like that turns out to be wrong. Perhaps you uh, jump online for a holiday and you have a look at the hotel and you like the look of it, it looks fantastic, the pool looks great, you think, well, book there, and you book there, but then the, uh, the expectation versus reality is quite different. Uh, when you get there, it's not what you imagined, it's not what you thought, you can't swim in the pool or whatever it is, it's, it's a little bit different. Or perhaps you are planning a, a day at the beach uh, next weekend, so I don't know, it's beautiful weather, it's warming up now, we'll go to the beach, you're like, no, there won't be many people there, it'll be fantastic, it'll be nice and relaxing, but the reality of it ends up being quite different. Or perhaps you love Christmas like I do and you want to set up Christmas lights like I attempted to do last year. Um, last Christmas and set them up and, uh, you know, you've you've got this picture of what it's going to look like but the reality is very, very different in how it turns out, which is pretty close to how it turned out for me last year. Um, Or perhaps you've got ideals around what you think parenting is going to be like with your children and and what it's going to be like with sleeping and eating but the reality is actually very, very different from what you picture or or the, the, the family photo or how the kids are going to have their toys and nice and neatly play around the house. And it doesn't quite meet your expectation. In the days of Jesus, the Jewish people in the nation of Israel had a distinct idea about the Messiah and the Kingdom of God and what that would be like. They had an expectation. They, They longed for the days of King David They expected a conquering king and that Israel would become a literal superpower that would conquer the Romans and anyone else that stood in their way. They expected someone coming in power and in force. What they did not expect, (coughs) excuse me, was a rabbi from Galilee who was the son of a carpenter. They didn't expect someone who would associate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. They did not expect a champion of the poor and the leper and the outcasts. They didn't expect someone who would flip conventional religious practice on its head, who would heal on the Sabbath and forgive the sins of outcasts. They didn't expect a Messiah who would choose a rabble of fishermen, zealots, tax collectors and the like as his closest disciples. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and he is not what they expect in a Messiah. And he flips the expectations of what the kingdom of God is to be like on its head. And in Luke chapter 4, he reads from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. He's in Galilee and he reads this from Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he goes on to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I've come about to bring a kingdom like this. This had huge implications for them. He's saying, I've come to establish a kingdom that is especially good news for the poor. When he's talking about the poor there, he's not just talking about people without possessions or money. He's talking about the people of the time who had a low social status. That might have been people with disabilities Uh, It was women, it was children, it was orphans. He's talking about social outsiders, people of a different ethnicity like a Samaritan or or perhaps it was a a tax collector or he was talking about people that 
didn't fit, whose life choices didn't put them in what we would call acceptable religious circles. He was talking about the sick and the blind and the lame. He's talking about the people on the margins who don't fit in. He's saying the kingdom of God is especially good news for these people. Because in the kingdom of that time, and unfortunately so often today in the kingdoms that we live in, the kingdom of the world today, those people, it's not good news for them. They're seen at the bottom of society. They certainly were then. And unfortunately, even today can be seen that way that we're not the, they're not the most important people. And Jesus is coming to say, I'm bringing a kingdom that's not like the kingdoms of the world. I'm bringing a kingdom that maybe is upside down to those, but it's a good news for those who are welcomed into it. It talks about freedom there, where Jesus talks about he's come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freedom there is talking about, it links back to Leviticus 25, where in, in the Old Testament, where they had a year of jubilee, where all slaves were released, all debts were cancelled, land was sold and returned to families. And Jesus is painting this picture of freedom, freeing people from sickness, freeing people from sin shame and religious bondage and whatever was oppressing and trapping them, Jesus is saying, I've come and my kingdom is especially good news for you. And he sets the scene that the kingdom of God is not about position, it's not about conquering, it's not about political power, it's not about wealth. It's actually a very humble thing that's bringing in the afflicted outsider with extraordinary generosity and forgiveness and love into his kingdom. And so quickly this morning, I just want to share a couple of brief thoughts about this upside-down kingdom. And the first one is this, that in the upside-down kingdom, everyone is welcome. Jesus both taught and demonstrated this. In Luke chapter 5, he calls fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples. That didn't happen. Rabbis didn't do that. They picked the best and brightest who went through um, learning of the law and went through the religious schools of the day and that's who followed rabbis. But Jesus picks fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and puts them together and they start following him. The religious leaders of the day certainly didn't have a high opinion of tax collectors. And so when they see that Jesus, one of his closest disciples, is a tax collector, they're like, whoa, this is not the system. This is not how it's meant to work. But Jesus said, no, Matthew, I want you. You might be despised by others, but you're a part of it with me. He heals people over and over again. There's this man with leprosy, and if you had leprosy, you were an outcast. You weren't allowed to be around other people. You were certainly not allowed to touch other people. This man, when he would have been um, first told by the priest that he was unclean with leprosy, would have had to walk through and out of the town, um, yelling, unclean, 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 so no one came near him. There was the shame of it in that he would have, it would have been assumed that it was his sin that gave him that affliction, and, and so he's lost, I don't know if he had a family or what he had, but all that's gone. The, his, the life he had is gone. And for years, we don't know how many, but he's an outsider, he's an outcast, he would live with other lepers on the edge of town, away from everyone, and he hears something about Jesus that makes him go, I'm going to approach Jesus. 
I don't know if you heard the t- teachings, but it, some, enough, something happened. We don't know what to make him go, I'm coming to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He, he doesn't doubt that Jesus is able to do it, but he's not sure because I'm a leper, I'm an outsider, there's a lot of shame with that. So I, I don't know if you want to, but I know you can. And so he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus shows him that he's willing. This man wouldn't have had any other human touch for years. And Jesus touches him. I don't know if he put his hand on his shoulder or touched him on the face or gave him a hug, but he touches him and says, I'm willing, be clean. He shows this man who's very much the outsider, the kingdom of God is for you. That was so upside down to what they expected. It was so upside down from the religious norms of the day. It wasn't comfortable or conventional, anything but, but it's what the kingdom, this upside down kingdom is meant to be like. Jesus shares, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who are hated and insulted, blessed are those who are rejected. It's like, if you don't fit, you're the blessed one in this kingdom. It says that for those people, theirs is the kingdom of God and they can rejoice and leap for joy. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow. He goes about doing miracles and and healings and, and encounters with people who would very much be the outsiders. He heals the servant of a Roman centurion. He raises a widow's son from the dead. He allows himself to be anointed, as the Bible describes this woman, to be a sinful woman. That wasn't what was done. He goes on and on and on and he's saying, the kingdom of God is for everyone. Now, yes, do we need to acknowledge our need for the kingdom of God? Yes, because we won't want to come into it if we don't. We need to acknowledge, I, I fall short. But he's saying it's for everyone who can acknowledge their sin and come to him. And he welcomes them all in. The second part of this is that once we are part of this upside down kingdom, it's then on us as well to help welcome others into it. When we realise what we have received from him, it's up to us to welcome the others into it as well. Jesus in in Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 48, it says this, it says, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Disciples are having this debate about who would be the greatest in some of the other Gospels that they're talking about, who would sit at Jesus' right and left hand one day in the kingdom. They're, They're posturing for position and Jesus says, you've missed it. Whoever would welcome a little child, whoever would welcome who's considered the least and 
And you might have heard the saying, and I'm glad it's not really a common saying today anymore, but children are best seen and not heard. Back then it would be very similar, if not even more, not seen and not heard. But Jesus brings a child front and centre and says, whoever welcomes a little child, whoever welcomes the least. Because in the kingdom of God, the least are the greatest, he says. He sets up this upside down kingdom thought again. And he's teaching his disciples, you didn't belong in here, but I made you belong. We do the same for everyone else. And he begins to teach it and live it out from here. He tells a parable about the Good Samaritan, where the outsider is cared for. He talks to the Pharisees and he's like, Woe to you for focusing on the outside and not the inside, for trying to look perfect while being far from it, for neglecting justice and the love of God, for sitting in the important seats and burdening burdening people with impossible religious burdens. I love that mostly today in the church, that it's very welcoming rather than, well, you've got to meet this standard and dress this way and do this to walk through the doors of a church. I love that that is the heart. I can certainly see it's the heart here. In Luke 14, he's at a Pharisee's house and he challenges them. He said, when you're invited, don't take the honoured seat and sit in the most important place. That's not the kingdom of God. He says, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't just invite those who can pay you back and invite you back and invite people who can't give you anything. Invite the poor, the lame, the blind, the outsider, and you will be blessed. This is the upside-down kingdom. In in all the kingdoms of the world, including the one we live in today, so much of it is about reaching what we think is the top. Jesus is saying, that's not who's really at the top, it's the other way around. It's the poor, it's the lowly, it's the outsider. Jesus shares parables about the lost coin and the lost sheep and about, you know, with the lost coin, how if if there was, you have a hundred coins or... And, and you've got 99 still and one's missing. You search everywhere to find the coin. He's using this parable to say that, that people are like that. We want to find them and take them. He shares the parable of the lost son. He goes out and squanders everything. But when, the fa- when he comes back, the father's like welcoming him. The brother's like, no way. I wasn't bad like him. He doesn't deserve it. And he didn't. But the father didn't care. It's the heart of the upside-down kingdom. In Luke chapter 18, um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And again, we don't know why, but we do know that he wanted to see Jesus. He heard Jesus was coming through. He's obviously heard enough. Maybe he might have heard that one of Jesus' closest disciples was a tax collector. We don't know exactly what he heard, but we know that he wanted to see Jesus. And he was too short. He couldn't see over the crowd. He climbs up a tree. And Jesus comes to him and says... Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus isn't like, you know what, today's not a good day, let me go home and clean up first, come back tomorrow. Um, He's just like, okay, come to my house. And something happens there in him feeling that welcomed by Jesus that by the end of it, he's like, look, Lord, I'll give half of everything I have to the poor, And for anyone I've wronged, anyone I've ripped off, which as a tax collector in those times is probably a lot of people, I will restore them four times over. 
He wasn't trying to impress Jesus. It was just that he was so overwhelmed by this encounter with Jesus. He just, I, I just can't help it. Here, here, here. It was this, I've been accepted and loved by him, and now I can't help but do it myself to others. And Jesus answers and, and actually says, today salvation has come to this house. Not because of what he did. What he did was a result of he'd found salvation. He couldn't help but then be generous to the poor. In Luke chapter 23, the climax of, of this upside down kingdom, and I encourage you, dig into the book of Luke because it just shows this over and over and over again. And we could spend hours looking through all the different encounters Jesus had with people, all the different things he taught. But he's on the cross, taking on our sin, taking on the sin of the world, so that we can be forgiven. And he's on the cross, and there's a criminal either side of him, and he says, of those who are crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Incredible statement, incredible words. And one of the criminals mocks him, but the other one, recognising who Jesus is, senses something different and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers to him, he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So this man was guilty of a crime that at the time had the penalty of, of being crucified. And Jesus says, today you will be with me. Translation, you're welcome in this upside down kingdom too. Every single one of us here is welcomed by Jesus. And if you don't yet know that or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to talk to the leadership of this church and they will talk with you and they will share the Bible with you and help you on that journey to become a follower of Jesus. And for the rest of us here, we've been welcomed into his kingdom. All of us. Can I encourage you, maybe even challenge you a little bit? Let's live that out and welcome in the outsider, the poor, everyone who doesn't fit into his kingdom. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you have welcomed us into your kingdom that you have forgiven us of our sins. You've welcomed us in even though we don't deserve it. We thank you for that. We again rejoice in the work of the cross and your death and your resurrection and what you've done with that and what you've done in us. And Lord, we thank you for the honour and the privilege that you would partner with us and choose to use us to help bring others into your kingdom, to help welcome others, to help meet the needs of others. Lord, where we can expect nothing in return, but because it's part of your kingdom of welcoming others in. And Father, we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name.